Okay, so now with our um, next message, it'll be brought to us by Mr. Steve Andrews. It's entitled, Abraham's Nephew Lot. It was interesting while uh, we were worrying about Sean there and getting a job and thinking and praying for him. I, after the feast, I came home and found out that I didn't have a job for three weeks. Uh, not totally, just for three weeks. So what I've been doing for three weeks is enjoying being a grandfather. And if you have never wrestled, wrestled, however you want to call it, if you're an Okie, it's wrestling. <laughs> if you've never wrestled with two year and a half year olds, it will wear you out. I think I am about ready to go to work. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been interesting, and I've been really, really enjoyed uh, the grandchildren these three weeks and being able to have. I didn't get as much done around the house as I would have liked to have. Of course, uh, my wife will probably tell, tell you that's probably because I uh, procrastinate a lot and have a tendency to be a little bit lazy anyway, but... Uh, it was enjoyable, and I uh, hate the thought about having to go back to work after such a uh, nice time, but it, it happens. Family. This is the book <laughs> about family, isn't it? Um, interestingly enough, it, it, it definitely has a lot to do with one family, starting with a man by the name of Abram. I didn't put this down for him to pick it up, but uh, the genealogy actually starts with uh, his father, Terah, or Terah, however you want to call it. Terah had three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran dies before his father dies, so he leaves a son by the name of Lot. Well, then, Terah, or Terah, however you want to pronounce it, dies. And so that leaves Lot in the care of Abram. Interesting, isn't it? In the care of Abram. So we have this book, essentially, of the genealogy, starting with Abram and going all the way to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And it is an interesting narrative, too. We're going to pick it up, not, <clears throat> and I'm going to read parts of it, because some of it, if I don't read it, it, you're going to lose a little bit of it, especially in some of the areas. So I ask you to bear with me. Most of this message is out of Genesis, um, beginning in the 12th chapter. And I hope we'll glean from it some things, especially about Lot, because that's where I'm going to focus on. And we're going to point to some of the things that Lot did and maybe didn't do, or wanted to do and didn't do. Now, verse 1, chapter 12, Genesis. Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get you out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house and unto the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. So God put tremendous 
blessing upon Abram, that was his name at the time, changed later to Abraham, and he didn't even have an heir. <laughs> God works in miraculous ways. He says, and I will bless them that bless you, curse them, curse him that curses you, and I will, and you shall be, of all families, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. So Lot now is with Abram and, and the, uh, the group that goes out. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth and got into the land of Canaan. Um, and into the land of Canaan they came. I want to see how far, I think that was as far as I wanted to go with that one. So let's turn over now to, to chapter 13. As we look at um, the sequence of events here, and as there's a separation, beginning in verse 1, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that they had, and lot with him in the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. So this, <laughs> this Bedouin, this traveler, was not poor. He had a lot of money. He had a lot of cattle. He was rich in um, gold and silver. Remember, I'm not going to read it, but there's a part where he actually offers silver and a lot of it for a burial spot for his wife, Sarah, later on. And we won't go into that. But uh, So he, he was an extremely rich individual, and he had a large company. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been in the beginning between Bethel and Hay or high, or however you want to pronounce that, and to the place of the altar which he had made there the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also went with Abram, and had flocks and herds and tents. So there was, a, this, this group was very large, and the land was not able to bear them, that they dw might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's cattle and herdsmen and of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in their land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray you, between me and you and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we be brothers. Okay. Abram was his uncle and uh, Lot's uncle, and, and so they were, they were kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself, I pray you, for me. If you will take the left hand, I will go to the right. And if you will depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And they lifted up their eyes, behold, and Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered, even where before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you comest into Zor. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves uh, the one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent towards Sodom. His choice of an area 
might have been beautiful. It might have been gorgeous. But the city and the place that he went to was very wicked, as verse 13. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. When the Bible says exceedingly, there was a lot of sin in that city. It was very wicked. And yet Lot chose that area. Now, even though I'd, I was kind of hesitant to read all of this, uh, this war that happens is a little bit convoluted. So I, I want to go ahead and put it together by just reading it because it's a kind of an interesting scenario and especially when Abram goes to rescue. It came to pass in chapter 14 of Genesis and beginning in verse 1, in the days of uh, Amraphel, king of Sinar, Ariok, king of El-Asar, uh, Chidor, Lemur, king of Elam, and Tidal, king, king of nations, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and Bersha, or, or Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Sahab, king of Adma, and Shimber, king of Zom, and king Bela of which is Zor. Now, one of the interesting things about these five kings is this is the, the wicked land in which Lot lives in. And there very much could have been uh, more destruction than Sodom and Gomorrah because th this was the, these were the five kings in this particular area. And we'll see here in a little while uh, how that works out with Lot. And these were joined together in a veil of Siddim, which is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served uh, Chidor, Lemur, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In that fourteenth year came uh, Chidor, Laomer, however you pronounce it, and the kings were with him and smote uh, the Rephims, as in uh, Ashtaroth and Carmatnaim and Zuzims in Ham and Emons in Siva, Kirithim, and the Horites in their Mount Seir under the El uh, Paran, which is by the wilderness. And they returned and came to Enmisphat, which is uh, Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites that dwelt in uh, Hazan tomorrow. And there went out a king of, and there went out the king of Sodom and the king of Moreh and the king of Amma and the king of uh, Zeboim and the king of Bela uh, the same as Zor, and they joined battle with them in the Vale of Siddim, with Chedorlaomer and the king of Elam, and with Tidal, king of nations, and Amraphel, king of Sinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar, four kings in five, uh, with five. And the Vale of Siddim was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they that remained fled. Uh, to the mountains, and they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. And there came one that had escaped and told Ab Abram the new, uh, the, the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Ishkel, the brother of Anar, and these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was 
which is his, uh, his nephew, was taken captive. He armed his, his trained servants. He armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318. I thought that was quite profound. Uh, not only did he have all of this wealth and all of this money, but he also had a tremendous entourage. And if those trained servants also had family, this was a huge Bedouin group uh, that were in this area. And he was able to, to gather 318 men put swords in their hands, and they went out. They went out. And he divided himself against them and his servants by night and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is the left uh, hand of Damascus. And he brought back all of the goods and brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also of the people. So, um, and then of course the Matt Steele went through Melchizedek last, last Sabbath, and so we'll, we'll skip over that part. But it was interesting that this family, this family was so close-knit that when this war came, he was willing and ready to go out and, and rescue his nephew, Lot, out of that situation. I thought that was so profound and so interesting. And, and then the warriors, he was able to, to, to arm them, to go out after them. So we see that there was a close-knitness between Abram and his nephew Lot. So let's, let's go now to, to, to chapter 18. We're going to skip over a little bit, and we're going to go to chapter 18. And this is where he's visited by these three gentlemen. And they promise that uh, Abraham now is, as Abraham is not no longer called um, Abraham, but Abraham, that, he, that Sarah was going to, to, to bear a child uh, that, were going to, that would be Isaac. And uh, she laughs, but, uh, uh, but he also reveals something to Abraham about Sodom and about Gomorrah and the situation that's going on there. And the men rose up because he had fed them. The men rose up, verse 16, from thence and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord, shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring it upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. It's the blessings that, that God gave to Abraham were so wonderful, but Abraham was also a believer. He was also righteous. He was also very faithful in everything that he did, and he taught his son, and his son taught his son. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, 
I will go down now and see whether they have done, whether according to the cry of it, which is coming to me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Will you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? I, I really have this message in mind considering the day and age that we live in. Will it get to the point where we're praying for our nation because of the wickedness that is so great that we know that God is, is going to intervene and it's going to be very, very bad? And we'll be praying, will you destroy this nation if there's righteous in this nation with the wicked? And so Abraham pleads for Sodom and Gomorrah. And he starts with 50. 50 righteous people. Per adventure, there were 50 righteous within the city. Will you also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? You can see the mercy that, one, that Abraham wanted to see, and two, that the Lord was willing to give. That be far from you to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as, <clears throat> be as the wicked, that be far from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? But it wasn't wrong to bring out the truth, was it? To confront the Lord. And sometimes in our prayers, we, we can go to God. We can, we can confront him with these things. And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. So, okay, 50, 50 people. I sure hope there's a lot more. I know there's a lot more in this, this nation because there's more than 50 here today. And there's more than 50 that are living, that are, that are following this way. And so I'm hoping that God will hear our prayers and continue to spare this nation, and hopefully this nation will repent. But this was a serious situation going on, and God was serious about his judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, in verse 27, he answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack Five of the fifty righteous, will you destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, if I find there forty-five, I will not destroy it. And he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Her adventure there shall be 20 found. And he said, I will not destroy it for 20's sake. 20 people in a whole two cities. God would not have destroyed it. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Her adventure 10 be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for 10's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left uh, communion with Abraham and Abraham returned into his place. Now, 
you've got to know that Abraham knew where Lot was. And he knew that Lot had family there. And so what he was doing, he was he was actually going to God and asking for mercy for, for Lot's family. Didn't know, maybe he didn't know how many, but he started out with 50. How long had Lot been there? The Bible's not really very plain about that, but what if there were 50 of his relatives there? Would he destroy it all for those 50? And all the way down until he came to 10. Well, we find out that it's even less than that. And then there's a little, little comment here at the bottom. Abraham's intercession for Sodom, and in reality for Lot, was based on the principle in verse 25. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He succeeded in, in postponing the judgment for the sake of a few righteous persons. 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, and finally 10. But Lot had been an even poorer missionary than Abraham supposed failing even to witness to his own family. We're going to see that here in a minute. The ten righteous persons could not be found. And we'll see that the Lord spared Lot. Let's go to, to chapter 19 now as we look at this situation that was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah was very perverse and, and a very wickedness that prevailed in that city. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat at the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing those, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself to face toward the ground. I, I always thought this was quite interesting, that Lot was sitting at the gate. Was he sitting at the gate to warn individuals who came to that city what was going on? I know that he, he probably suspected who these individuals were, that they were angelic beings. But he was already sitting at the gate. So was he there to warn them about this? Here's what he says. Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and you shall rise up early, and go on your way. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them. He was anxious about this. He did not want them to abide in the street. Greatly, and he turned unto him, and he entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did break and live in bread, and they did eat. So he was able to get them to come in. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house around about, both old and young, and all of the people from every quarter. This is true wickedness when they start doing this, when it is someone that was new in the, in the town and they're willing to come out and try to um, do a sinful thing against those people. And they called unto Lot and said, Where are the men which came into you this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. I think everyone that's older will probably understand what, what we're talking about. I don't particularly want to go into any details today, but we know that in this society today, 
it is becoming more and more prevalent that we are more and more like Sodom and Gomorrah. And it always worries me a little bit. And I'm thankful that there are some righteous in this nation. And that maybe God will continue to spare us. But you can see from what was going on, how wicked they were becoming, how very perverted and wicked, and their minds were wicked and perverted. And they called unto Lot and said to him, Where are the men which came into you in this night? And bring them out, that we may know them. And Lot went out of the door unto him and shut the door after him. And they said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do you to them as, as good in their eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for these came unto the shadow of my roof. That was a little shady, I think, on Lot's part. I don't know exactly how to, to look at that in the, in the eyes uh, from, from, from our perspective to give his daughters up over these men. But uh, the times in which he was, and he was very um, apprehensive about what was going to happen, and maybe he wasn't thinking straight. And they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came in, in to sojourn and he, will, he needs to be a judge. Now will we deal worse with you than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand, pulled Lot into the house to them, and shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. These men were so perverted, so bad, so evil, that even after blindness, they were still trying to do the perversion, trying to be as per the, the, their hearts and their souls and their minds were so evil. And the men said it a lot, have you here any besides son-in-law and your sons and your daughters, whatsoever you have in the city, bring them out of this place. You, you can understand those angels. Get them out of here. Come on. Bring as many as you can. For we will destroy this place because of the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spoke unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his son-in-law. It's interesting. We can preach repentance, can't we? But until the mind is opened and they see, they're not going to repent. And even his own family and his close kin could not see the wickedness that they lived in. And obviously, he was not able to to make them change their mind. Even though he probably pleaded with them, come on, get out of this place. The Lord is going to destroy it. It's not going to survive. We could say that too, as we see the wickedness of the world and the things happening. Verse 15. 
And when the morning arose, and the angels hastened, Lot saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters, which are here, lest you be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and on the hand of his two daughters. And the Lord being merciful upon him, they brought him forth and set him without the city. I mean, he had to be, his family had to be forced out of the city. Forced out of the wickedness. Sometimes we allow that to happen in our own self, and we have to come to a point of repentance. We have to force ourselves back in to the mercy of God. But they, they had to be forced out of the city. And they probably knew who these men were, that they were angelic beings with power and the ability. And he said, and it came to pass when they brought him them forth out, Escape for your life. Look not behind you. Neither stay you in the, all the plain. Escape to the mountain lest you be consumed. The Lord said to them, Oh, no, not my Lord. Behold, now your servant has found grace in your sight, and you have magnified your mercy, which you have showed unto me in saving my life. I, I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil take me, and I die. Behold, now this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape there. Uh, is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said, See, I have accepted you concerning this thing. Also, I will not overthrow the city for which you have spoken. Haste you, escape there, for I cannot do this thing till you have come there. Therefore, the name of the city is called Zor. Remember, it was one of the five. Zor. And the sun was risen upon the earth, and Lot entered into Zor. And the Lord reigned upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew these cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities that which grew upon the ground. So he obliterated all of this wickedness in the land. What were they breeding, brethren? We know what this breeds, HIVs and different diseases and things, all of the, the sexually transmitted diseases, all of those things. As these, these cities would grow and expand and they would grow into the land, would they bring those things into the land and pollute the rest of the land? I'm sure they would. God saw that. God understood that. God was willing to destroy these nations to keep that from happening at that particular time. We've had to, to battle some of that in this nation, haven't we? We've seen things going on in this nation that a few, you know, 30, 40 years ago, we wouldn't even have imagined. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, it doesn't say that Lot had a wife until he, he got to, to Sodom, does it? Uh, there, there's no mention. 
So if he picked a wife of the daughters of Sodom, of that area, it might have been kind of natural for her to, to, to think about her relatives. Even though Lot probably shook her and told her, do not look back, do not look back. But she looked back and God turned her into a pillar of salt for her disobedience. Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain beheld and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. It's an interesting, uh, this next this section is very interesting, not knowing exactly what these young ladies were thinking. Um, they decided to have children by Lot, maybe thinking there was, uh, this was the, the last of their, of their kind or whatever. And the children that they had, I won't read all of that, the children that they had were very well known throughout the scriptures. Moab and Emma. I have some, some interesting um, things in my, my Bible here, keyword study Bible. The Moabites were the descendants of Lot and were neighbors of the Amorites on the opposite side of the Arnon River. That's Numbers um, 21, 13. They possessed many great cities and were prosperous, arrogant, and idolatrous. They were mighty men of war. Uh, this is Isaiah 6, 16, 6. The Amorites de deprived them of, of a large part of their territory, number 21, 26. The Moabites refused to let Israel pass through their country and were so greatly impressed and alarmed by the multitude of the Israelite army that uh, along with the Midian, they sent Balaam to curse it. And you can read that in Numbers 22 through 24. Subsequently, Israel was enticed into idolatry and even intermarried with them. They were always hostile to Israel uh, until King Saul subdued them in 1 Samuel 14, 47. Later they became tributary to David and succeeding Jewish kings, you know, 2 Samuel 8, 2, 12, um, 12 uh, 2 Kings 3, 4. But they finally joined Babylon against Judah, 2 Kings 24, 2. On several occasions, God pronounced judgments against Moab, and you can read the prophetic things in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos. Now, the Ammonites, not the Amorites, but the Ammonites, which came from this incestuous relationship between the two, the two girls and, and Lot, the Ammonites were the children of Lot. They were a cruel, covetous, proud, vindictive, and idolatrous nation. Interesting what was, uh, how that was. And you can see Judges 10, 6, Ezekiel 25, 3, and 6, Amos 1, 13, and Zeph Zephaniah 2, 10. Their chief city was uh, Rabbah, Reba, uh, 2 Samuel 12, 26, and 27, from which they were governed by um, hereditary kings. They had various encounters with Israel. With the Philistines, they oppressed Israel for 18 years. King Saul succeeded against them 
and David and Joab also overcame them. But Solomon intermarried with their women and introduced their idols into Israel. And that was the downfall of them. It is interesting that even though God had told Israel they could not marry with a Moabite, that Ruth became one of the, the descendants. That's a, a very profound story and a very interesting uh, story in itself. In Second Peter now, as we've gone through this with Lot, let's look at Second Peter. Because there is a section in here, one small verse about Lot. 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning of verse 5. I'm gonna, this is just kind of jumping right into the middle of it. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world and the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. So, that's the whole point of this narrative. This narrative in the scriptures, to be an example unto those that should live ungodly like the Sodoms and Gomorrah, people did with the same type of sins that they had and delivered just Lot vexed with filthy conduct of the wicked so he was very distressed over the conduct that was going on and if you count there was only four Lot, his wife and the two daughters that made it out of Sodom and Gomorrah. His wife turned and lost her life. So that was three out of no telling how many were in that plain area of Sodom and Gomorrah at that particular time. So it is an example for us to know that God sees the ungodly things going on and he will someday bring the judgment. So what is our lot? I use that as a metaphor, our lot in life. Let's look at John, the 17th chapter. Because it's wonderful. It's great. It's beautiful, as we heard in the first message. And in fact, I'm going to finish up with the same verse that David finished up with, or close to it, I think. John 17, we all know this is the intercessory prayer at Passover. In verse 15, I pray not that you should take them out of the world. He's praying for, for the disciples and also for us, but that you should keep them from the evil one. I pray not that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. The whole point is that we have to live in this world, don't we? There's no way to escape. Things are happening all over the world that are just as bad as what's going on in the United States. And maybe even worse than the things that were happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And so there's no escape. So we have to live in the world. But what Christ's prayer was about was to keep us clean from this world. To keep us out of the, the, the situations that would, would draw us into this world and then cause us to become wicked and evil and turn our backs on this, this way of life. In Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and I won't read the, because I read this the last time that I went through here, but I want to read this, this one part. I won't read about the armor because I read that the last time that, that I spoke, but I want to read this one part. And this is, this is uh, um, I want to make sure that I'm, It says, and it says, I, I had the verse 12 down. Oh, yes, this is the one I want, verse 12. And I might read the other two here. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling, 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 however you want to say it, against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, wickedness in high places. I don't know if any of you read um, witchcraft is becoming more and more prevalent. Satanism is becoming more and more prevalent. It seems like people are, 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 are really falling in to these particular areas of wickedness. You're having the Ten Commandments put up in one place and then they're wanting to put a statue of, of Satan, supposedly of Satan, in the same place. So, there's a great battle going on right now and it's a spiritual battle. It's a tremendous spiritual battle. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Let's turn to Philippians, the The second chapter, beginning in verse 12. Wherefore, my brethren, as you have always obeyed, not as, uh, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and disputations, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. You see, it is a genealogy book, isn't it? God created Adam for the purpose of us all being in his sons and daughters in the kingdom. It is a book that God has been writing for a very long time because he wants a family. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. 
that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's the important thing. That in this crooked world, that we shine as lights with whomever we meet, whoever we are able to touch, that we shine as lights. Because it is a crooked and perverse nation. And people are living in some instances, very, very perverted lives. Not understanding this word at all. Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, for I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. We're hoping that the word that is read will strengthen each of us not just me giving it to you, but me also accepting the word and being strengthened by the word that I've just read today and understanding that the world is filled with wickedness, but God expects us to be a light to that world. In James, the fourth chapter, in here somewhere. James 4, beginning in verse 1. James has so much wisdom in this book. It's such a small letter, but it's so powerful. From where comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not even of your lust that war in your members? You lust and you have not. You kill and you desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not, because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. He calls, because we live in this kind of a society, sometimes it rubs off on us. You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, there will be a, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Do you think the scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? But he gives more grace. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. So there's, there's a battle going on, isn't there? We talked about the armor that you have to put on. But there is a battle that's going on constantly, and we have to fight it because we live in the society that is all around us wholly giving over to the worldly things. Our neighbors, Miriam looks at our next door, a very big, a huge thing of, looks like you know, what they call Satan, but it's got this long red robe, big horns, and it stands way up there, and they've had it all week. And then in their yard, they've had all these dead dolls and weird-looking things, all for about two weeks now. And so we're, we're, we're surrounded with it. Don't tell them what your neighborhood might be like and what they do in your neighborhood, but that's what was... And I, when they came to my house, I pointed next door. I said, that way. <laughs> you know, if they were going to come up, I was going to point that way. Because I, 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 didn't, I didn't want to have anything to do with them. But they were, they were ready for all the weird things going on and they were ready for 
Halloween. And they sure had a, um, they were sure depicting the evil of the day. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Die, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you'll judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to do, to save, and to destroy. Who are you that judges another? And we know that. We know that God is looking at the world just like he was looking at Sodom and Gomorrah. And it worries me because I know that the sins of the world, not just America, but all over the world, and it's being affected, and it is affecting those who are trying to keep the word of God. And, and for all of those that have young, people, young children, you always have to be aware. I mean, be involved in what your children are doing. Make sure that they're not being drawn into this world, into the sins of this world, because it's so easy. And there is a little thing called the Internet. You can carry it around in your pocket and uh, any other places, and you can get anything. All the evil and the wickedness of the world comes right to your very doorstep through the Internet. So remember that. You have, to, you have to be willing to fight to live in this world. Submit yourself. Resist the devil. Submit yourself. Draw an eye to God. Cleanse your hands. Do those things that you need to do. I want to finish up in Romans because I think that was so beautiful. And I, I really did like what David had to talk about today, investing in the right things. In verse 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed into it. I think that that's so profound that Paul was inspired to write that one verse to encourage us, to strengthen us. And then verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creation waits for the manifestation of the family of God. Not just the word son. That, that includes all the family, the whole family of God. Because that's what we're talking about. Being in the family of God. 